Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be a joy in your sight. Amen. You know, I, I wrestled and wrestled with something. It's about doing something in relation to our text today, actually in something in relation to one particular word in our text today. I've wrestled with this idea for years. Every time when I read scripture and I come across this particular word, I always think of a certain cartoon that I read a long time ago. And I've always chickened out in sharing it because I thought maybe it might offend someone. But let's be real, I've been here eight years and you still haven't left, so I figure if I haven't offended you yet, this is not going to offend you. So today I'm going to do something so I can quit thinking about this cartoon. It's about a certain word that we read today early in the scripture text. That word is circumcision. It's in reference to the Jewish practice of circumcising males as a mark of their Jewish identity, their covenantal relationship between God and Israel. Well, anyway, there's this cartoon, like I said, I came across a long time ago. Abraham is up on the mountain, and God has just told him about this whole circumcision thing. Don't have to do that again. <laughs> the discussion of circumcision and uncircumcision, is, it's a medical issue even today. It still gets talked about a lot. But in the context of our reading, it's, it's not about a medical thing at all. It's about a religious discussion. Frankly, it's a discussion that doesn't really speak to us today. But back in Paul's day, in the life of the early church, it was the issue those of the Jewish faith were circumcised as an expression of their Jewish identity. Those who were not Jewish, Gentiles, well, they did not carry that religious identity. And this issue of circumcision was just, just one example of a much deeper division between Jews and Gentiles. They had been separated for many, many generations. And while they would never really resort to violence necessarily against each other. They had no desire at all to share life together. They came from very different cultures, very different convictions, very different practices, such as this one of circumcision. As Paul says in our text, that there was a great dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Now Paul himself, of course, comes from a Jewish background, and therefore he speaks as one who comes from that background, and as our text begins, he, he speaks of the situation of the folks on the other side, the Gentiles. He, he says that they are aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, that they are strangers to the covenant of promise, this covenant that was between God and Abraham. He says that they have no hope and that they were without God. There's a great divide between one group and the other group. But then Paul says this about this great dividing wall, that it's now been broken down. He speaks to the Gentiles and says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now you're citizens 
with the saints, members of the household of God. Where there had been division, now there's oneness. And this oneness comes not because of what either side did, but because of what God did. In the middle of that reading, it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. In His flesh, He has made both groups into one and broken down that dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. What does it mean that Paul says that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus? I was raised to think that this means that Jesus died so that I can be right with God again. That his blood was shed so that my sins would be forgiven. I don't think that anymore. I think the blood of Jesus was shed because of the way Jesus lived. Jesus lived a way that was the way of the kingdom of God, a way that is ruled by love for God and other in the right here and now of life. But this way of kingdom living that Jesus lived was in direct conflict with the kingdoms of this world, the powers of this world, the political and religious powers, the ways of those kingdoms weren't based in love, but in power. And getting power and keeping power by any means necessary. It had nothing to do with oneness with God and other, but instead was about us versus them, those on top versus those on the bottom. The powers that be maintained their control through oppression and violence. They did whatever they needed to do to get rid of any threat to their kingdom. But then Jesus comes along with this proclamation and practice of God's kingdom. It became a threat to these powers. So the powers came together to get rid of Jesus. They got rid of him by nailing him on a cross. And when they nailed him on a cross, they wanted to make sure that everybody saw what happens when you mess with those powers that be. Jesus' blood was shed because of the way he lived. But, and this is a big but, that's a song, isn't it? Three days, that kind of killed the whole thing, didn't it? <clears throat> Three days after Jesus was killed, God raised that dead Jesus from the dead. The power of the powers that be, power about control and violence and us versus them, a power that is the power of death, this power was defeated by the power of life. The power of resurrection, the blood of Jesus, defeated death. The blood of Jesus defeated the power of death and all of those powers that bring about death 
By resurrection, God brings about new creation. The redemption of all that is under the reign of God. As Paul says, now all are members of the household of God. It's a household built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. All of those who spoke of God's love for all people. The cornerstone of that whole foundation, the cornerstone is Jesus. Jesus, whose blood was shed for the salvation of the whole world. So that the whole world would know that God's love is for all people. Paul also says that he, Jesus, is our peace. The word peace in Greek is the word eirene. Eirene was one of the Greek goddesses in, the, in Greek mythology. There were statues built. There were uh, worship places built for the worship of the Greek goddess Eirene. Well then, later on, when the Romans took over from Greece... The Romans adapted some pieces of the Greek culture, including their, their mythology. Now they changed the names from Greek names to Roman names to Latin names, and now the Greek goddess Irene was now known as Pax, P-A-X. During the, reign of, during the time of Jesus, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, is what kept the peace. History lauds the Roman peace because it was a, a long time with not much violence going on. It was a time when the Roman Empire was growing and growing. There were great things done, great cities built, great roads built. Um, the trade was flourishing. But you know what kept that Roman peace going was that you better not mess with the Roman peace. If you mess with the Roman peace, you're going to see what the Roman peace can do to you through violence, if need be. Jesus was a threat to that peace. And like I said, it got him killed. But in the resurrection, we proclaim not that the Roman peace and all peace like that is peace, but that Jesus is our peace. Death is defeated. Whatever has separated us from others has been defeated. The dividing wall has been broken down. And now God is building one household, a structure with the cornerstone is Jesus himself. What does that structure look like? That structure is not made of wood or brick or, or stained glass windows. This building is, that God is making is made up of people who say yes to God's call to follow Jesus. It's made up of a people who practice the peace that is Jesus. This text today talks about the division between Jew and Gentile, and frankly, that really has no significance to us. But how many other hostilities are out there that divide us? Political leanings, of course. Economic divisions, ethnic differences, national allegiances. Any setting where there's a clamoring of us versus them, where some are put down so that others can be lifted up, where some hold the power and those without any power are excluded and pushed off to the side because they don't matter. We see those divisions all around us. We see it, unfortunately, in the life of the church. 
But because of the blood of Jesus, all of these divisions have been wiped away. God is bringing about a new thing. The kingdom of God in the right here and now of life. And for us as church, it's people who know resurrection and who confess that Christ is Lord over all heaven and earth. We are called to proclaim and participate in God's new thing. Practicing the peace that is Jesus. And because we as church know that everyone is a loved child of God, we know that this means we are called to show love to all people with all boundaries being destroyed and tore down. During my sabbatical, I did a lot of reading. One of the books I read is by a lady named Austin Channing Brown. It's called, I'm Still Here, Black Black Dignity, in a world made for whiteness. Now, I checked this book out of the library, so I don't have it with me, but I did make some copies of some pages, and if that breaks any copyright rules, then just forget I said that. I see Bill's here, and he works at the library. Don't tell on me, Bill. But there was one quote in that book that jumped out at me and has been in my head ever since. This author is an African-American woman And when she was in college, she went to a small Christian college in Chicago, and she participated in a three-day bus trip down south to explore black history in the south. Half of the group on this trip was white, the other half was black. The first stop on this trip was to a southern plantation where the white guides at the plantation spoke about how well-treated the slaves were. And how the slaves just enjoyed singing out in the fields as they picked cotton. When the group got back on the bus, the white students couldn't understand why the black students were furious about what they had just seen. Tension began to grow. The next stop was at a museum where there was just one exhibit. A history of lynching. Photographs of dark-skinned people swinging by their necks. The smiles of white adults and children gathered around. Newspaper stories advertising upcoming lynchings as community events. The tension was even greater now than it was before at the plantation. When they got back on the bus, there was a long period of silence. And I want to start a quote here. The first students to break the silence were white. Well, I didn't even know this ever happened. It's not my fault. I wasn't there. They reached for anything that would distance themselves from the pain and anger of the moment. Anything to ward off the guilt and the shame, the shock and the devastation. There was anger from the black students. And in their anger, they shared from their own families of ancestors who had been victims of the Jim Crow era in the North and in the South. But here's the quote that moved me the most, and I want to read this, and I'm going to read it from the Xerox. As we pulled into the parking lot to break for lunch, another white student stood up to speak, but instead of a different variation of please don't make me responsible for this, she took a deep breath and gave gave in to the emotion of it all. I don't know what to do with what I've learned, she said. I can't fix your pain, and I can't take it away, but I can see it. 
And I can work for the rest of my life to make sure your children don't have to experience the pain of racism. And then she said nine words that I've never forgotten, and this is the quote. Doing nothing is no longer an option for me. Those words changed the air on that bus. She acknowledged the depths of our pain without making excuses for it. And in that moment, I knew her words were true for me as well. Something shifted inside me on this trip, something powerful and unmistakable. Doing nothing was no longer an option for me. Doing nothing is no longer an option for us who know the Jesus who is our peace and is the peace of our world. For us as Christians, the more that we experience the resurrection power that comes from Jesus, the more we're being called into new ways of living. Living as people of God's kingdom, loving God and loving others, practicing the peace of Jesus, living in such ways that the hungry are fed, that the thirsty are given something to drink, the strangers are welcomed, the naked are clothed, where the sick are visited, as well as those in prison. And one thing is for sure, because we are a people of Christ whose blood has freed us from all that brings about death, Because Jesus is our peace, doing nothing is no longer an option for any of us who follow Jesus. Amen. Come down to time of... Discipleship and membership, it's a time to recommit ourselves in the way of following Jesus. It's a way of grace and it's also a way that calls us. Let us stand and sing that hymn.